everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish, and welcome to the Christmas season. Oh, yes, that's right. It's time for Christmas. It's time for us to take some time through the wintry wonderland that is the Christmas season. Uh, it's not really wintry. It is cold, though. It is chilly. It's Advent season. I know some of you out there are like, the word Advent's kind of weird. It sounds a little bit like Advil. Do you call the season that because you need some Advil because of all the extra added pressure and stress? It sounds like advert, like advertisement, the British way of saying advertisement, which is always fun because there's so much consumerism. Is that what it's about? Uh, no, actually, the word Advent actually simply means arrival. And it's about the arrival of Jesus on the scene more than 2,000 years ago. And we uh, are trying to uh, get ready for that. So last night we had our Advent worship and prayer night. So uh, and it was awesome seeing, it was really cool. It was hosted at our South Hills campus where I'm the South Hills teaching pastor. It was really cool for us to to welcome all the folks. And it was a really cool time just to center our hearts and just spend some time like singing together and, and thinking and reflecting and praying. Uh, it was also awesome because afterwards, a lot of folks came up to me and they just said how much they appreciated the podcast and how much it's changing their lives. My words, not theirs. Uh, but it was really cool to for all of you who are writing in or who come up to me and say, uh, thanks for the afterword. It's really cool to hear that. And uh, thanks so much for listening, especially to Jono and Rachel who were there. Uh, thanks for lurking outside my office. Um, next time you guys, you can just knock and just come on in. It's it's fine. My office is Sue office. Um, also, a loyal listener all the way in Indianapolis, Indiana wrote me and said, hey, where's the podcast? It's supposed to be up already. Sorry. It was Thanksgiving weekend. We had to take a little bit of a break, so sorry about the delay. So greetings all the way from Indianapolis. I hope that you can travel back quickly. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Our goal for the next four weeks is simply to get ready for Christmas, uh, get ourselves ready, and really not lose sight of the holiday. In fact, here in the studio with Mariah Carey. Mariah, if you had to say what your favorite Christmas song is right now, not of all time, of course, because that's all I want for Christmas is you, but in general, what is your favorite Christmas song right now? Joy to the world. Mm, that's a good one. Mariah, what, what would you say is your favorite line from that famous Christmas hymn? Let every heart Also a good choice, Mariah. In fact, it's such a good choice that that's what we named our sermon series, Prepare Him Room, which is the idea that we're going to take these next four weeks and just prepare our hearts and get ready for Christmas. So here with Jay Kim, we're going to talk about Advent, about what it means. Neither of us really grew up in a church that, you know, celebrated Advent or explained it really well. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about the first of the four attributes that the prophet Isaiah wrote about the Messiah 700 years before Jesus came on the scene and was born. Uh, Obviously not 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. Uh, he's eternal and the second member of the Godhead Trinity, but you know what I mean. Uh, uh, I want to be precise with my language. 700 years before Jesus was born incarnate, uh, and um, he wrote about the Messiah that he will be called, a son is given to us, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, and Prince of Peace. We're going to talk about Mighty God this week and why that term, Mighty God, what it means and how it can actually infuse our lives with hope if we can just actually believe it and live in a way as if it were true because it is true. So with that, let's just dive right in. Hey, Mariah, could you be a dear and just sing us right into the podcast with a little more joy to the world? 
the afterward brought to you by butter toasted peanuts from the girl scouts from the girl scouts what does that mean i don't know man but these are really good want to try one no thank you i appreciate it though i'm trying to stay away from things that are coated in butter and toffee <laughs> you want to describe the taste of the listeners Sweet, crunchy, buttery, toffee, to- toasty, <laughs> toasty, peanutty. These are addicting, huh? These are real good, man. Uh, oh, I, I can imagine. Everything the Girl Scouts sell, I think, is coated in crack. Otherwise, why is it so addictive? This I think is, this is dangerous to have this around. We're on wow. to you, Girl Scouts. Very good. You coat your products in crack. No, really, that is the question. How are they so good at making? Cookies, peanuts. I don't know. It's incredible. It is. Jay, it's almost December. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Can't believe it. Doesn't it feel like just last week it was January? It sort of does, yeah, but time, I've given up on understanding time. It's just so strange now. Well, yeah. It seems like it flies and things happen. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also the year 2023 is almost here, and that just sounds so futuristic and weird. (laughs) Have you ever seen that? It's like uh, we're already past the date of like Blade Runner. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know. All all those futuristic futuristic movies from the 80s (laughs) were way past that. And yet we still do not have flying hoverboards. Where's my flying flying car? Where's my robot made? Remember Minority Report? I do. They weren't flying cars, but they were the cars on those tracks. Yeah. It was like Hot Wheels. So there was never traffic. It's all super efficient. I mean, that seems like the answer, really. This was uh, this is the longest intro to an afterward episode. Yeah, maybe ever. (laughs) So we're in December. Yes. And it's Advent. So first question I have for you. Growing up, did you know about that? Uh, did you know about Advent? Did you celebrate Advent no, as a thing? No, I didn't. Yeah, it wasn't until, yeah, probably early college. When I got into ministry, sort of in my early 20s, that's when, yeah, I don't know that I even knew the word Advent growing up. Yeah. It wasn't a part of my church. I had seen the culture. candles and the hope, peace, love, Christ candle. Yeah. I, I'd seen that. Yeah. Um, And then we lit some candles. Did, did you... No, we didn't do any of that growing up. No. Yeah. How would you describe Advent to somebody who doesn't have any historical context on it? Because some people think it's like it's prepping for Christmas, meaning putting up Christmas decorations and watching holiday Hallmark movies. Yeah. By the way, you can fall asleep in a Hallmark movie, you know, and wake up halfway through the next Hallmark movie and it's not the same movie. <laughs> and not know not know where you are. Yeah, I'm not saying because that. because the the protagonist is still Mario Lopez <laughs> from he, Saved by the Bell. He is dreaming those is dimples, dreamy. those cheeks. Anyway, what, what percentage of our listeners had a crush on Kelly from Saved by the Bell in the late '80s, early? Well, 90s? I'll tell you what percentage Probably. of the people on the podcast right now, 100 <laughs> percent. Kelly Kabowski, oh, man, my first love. Great. Kelly? Uh, well, actually, Princess Leia was my first oh, love. Oh, of course. But then Kelly Kapowski, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay, so the question is Advent. <laughs> yeah, let's... How would just, we... <laughs> how would you How would you describe Advent, like, in a historical sense to, to people? Because Christians have been doing this for, like, a long time. Long time. time. 1,500 that, years, yeah. officially. But, yeah. Um, I mean, oh, gosh, there's a lot to say about it. But simply put, Advent is a season on the Christian calendar. Um 
that marks the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And those four Sundays are spent for followers of Jesus during Advent, thinking about the gift that once came and the gift that is coming again, namely Jesus. You know, Christmas, obviously, as the celebration of the birth of Christ, but also Christians being a people of hope that Christ, who came once, lived, died, rose again, and ascended, he will return again someday. So that's the part that's a little different, because I think a lot of people, the first coming is the focus. It's the second coming that people kind of, you don't hear a lot at, at, at the Christmas season. Yeah, understandable, because Christmas is about his birth yeah. 2,000 years ago, and as it should be. I'm not saying that, right, right. oh gosh, that's a misunderstanding. No, Christmas is a celebration of remembering with gratitude that God sent his son, yeah. and God sent his son in such an astounding, sort of upside-down, humble way, you know, to this young teenage girl born into just utter humility, poverty, really, you know, and and yet through him, uh, changed everything. So yeah, Advent is, you know, it's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas and it's a season of preparation, a season of remembering, uh, a season of, um, reorienting our hearts and minds so that we might most fully experience with deep gratitude and awe and wonder, uh, what Christmas really is about. Because in, in many ways, Christmas is so familiar, it's easy for us to lose sight of yeah. just the power of it. There's an, uh, one of the things that we have available for people is the Advent devotional from Christianity Today, yeah. which you contributed to, and I'm excited to get to the, your contributions because it's going to be fun to read, but it's really well done. And one of the things that keeps kind of floating out of that is there is a bit of a dark side to Advent. Right. And that's, see, when I think of Christmas, I think of sentimentality. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's this very sentimental, it's glossed warm. over, yeah. warm. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot about that. And there's a, <clears throat> in order to light the hope and the peace and the love and the Christ candle, the reason those are so important is because the darkness. Yes. And so there's an aspect of Advent, which is very anti our modern culture. Like I think about um, you and I have references in sermons before, but there's a guy named Steven Pinker. Yeah. He's a Harvard professor. And his basically thing is like, basically the world's getting better. Yeah. Um, he wrote an article about, and the world's getting better. Now's the best time to be alive. Right. And just all the things statistically that are improving in the human condition, medicine and the lack of global conflict comparatively to other yeah. parts. And, and he, that's what things are getting better. And it just, and that might be true statistically, but people don't live in statistics, right? Yeah. And so the Bible resists that idea. Yes. That says that things are getting better and it's the best time to be alive and, and, and we're only trending up and to the right. Right. The Bible resists that and says that it actually, um, the Bible's actually uh, rigorously unsentimental in that respect. Yeah. Um, well, the Bible's honest. Honest, I right. In, I think that's in, the best uh, way to put it. In the deepest way, yeah. It looks into human misery, human folly, human pain human disappointment. Uh, and, and there was a writer named Lance Morrow who wrote about the 20th and 21st century. He said, instead of a growing enlightenment, there seems to be a growing in darkenment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in some ways, Advent is about needing light. Yes. And not light that humans can make or manufacture, 
but light from somewhere else right that has to come from somewhere so there's also that side of it too yeah 100 percent. i mean i think um advent is a season leading up to christmas because we are supposed to take that journey you're not supposed to jump the gun and get right to the bright lights of christmas but, but you know that's typically culturally what we want to do sure um and that's not necessarily a bad thing i'm not saying like don't hang your christmas no. lights or put up your tree i mean we've done that we have our lights up and our tree up um but on a deeply sort of soul at a soul level what advent invites us to do in those four sundays leading up to christmas is to um recognize and and acknowledge and even sink deeply into the great need for light that we live in yeah. darkness and and yet uh, we can we can take that journey and hope because we know that light has come and is coming again and it makes the gift of Christmas and Christmas morning when when we celebrate Christ's birth all the mu- you know all the more beautiful and profound once you've taken that journey through darkness yeah. so and and I think some of the Christmas songs that we sing actually can help remind us, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and so the, that's the beauty of those those songs. Right. Like when Mariah Carey says, "All I want for Christmas, for Christmas is you." Is you? And she's referring to the Christ and the coming Christ. <laughs> um, not very many people know that, but that's what that that song is about. Um, Santa baby, hurry down the chimney <laughs> tonight. Is actually an. Uh, like a, a real, uh, it's a call to the the second coming, and John's vision of the new heavens and earth that right. God would declare that He would wipe away every tear from their eye. Right, and, and when the, the you first know, things have passed away, the day of the Lord. That's right. When Grandma gets run over by that reindeer, it's a reminder that death is not the end. Right. That Grandma, gra- represent, Grandma represents death. Grandma, <laughs> and she is run over by the reindeer of God's good rain. Rain deer, get it? The rain of the dear heart of the Lord. That's, it's a lot. The deer shall rain forever. That's, you know, which is what the, that's what's going on there. <laughs> Very few people know that. Very few. That's uh, so good. Okay, anyway. Okay. okay. <clears throat> so this past week, we talked about one of the attributes that Isaiah the prophet wrote yes. 700 years before Jesus was even on the scene, before yeah. his birth. Um, so, uh, we talked about mighty God. Yeah. Um, and before we get into this, the, one of the things that we talked about, and I wanted to come back to it is that, um, the idea of mighty God is it's, it's in Isaiah that there's these four names for us. A child is born to us. A son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. We're going to talk about each one of those. We didn't go in the order <laughs> that, right. that the scriptures have. Though. I don't know why we decided to go out of order, but we didn't. Uh, we started about with mighty God, partially because I think it's it's not that people have a problem believing that God's mighty. You know, from the creation narrative to the parting of the Red Sea to the, the thunder and the earthquake at Mount Sinai to the prophets of Baal and Elijah and the the thunder, the lightning and the fire from heaven. Yeah, uh, Those are things that people see. But the question is... I think it's sometimes hard to remember remember that God's mighty because we live in a culture that where God, the idea of God interacting in the, in the world yeah. is so um, 
foreign to yeah. so many of us. And you talked a lot about this. And there was, uh, even online, as you were talking about this, you talked about some ideas about um, these kinds of things. Uh, there was some confusion. And so I, can let's go back to the, the, the flat... Um, Oh, Flatland. Uh, Flatland. Yeah. Um, and the idea, and Charles Taylor. Yeah. Um, and the secular age and all those things. So let's talk a little bit about that. Just the idea that we live in like a cultural water in which the idea of God interacting with it, it's it's almost like it feels very foreign or alien. Yeah. I think people were a little confused about that because, I mean, so like what, what, are, you, what are we trying to get across? What are we trying to get across to people with and with flatlands, which is also a kind of a metaphor you used uh, about that. Just what what were you trying to say? Maybe explain that a little bit more because there was some like like wait what? And I think yeah. it's partially because it's some deep ph- philosophy, right? And it's um, maybe things ways that people aren't used to thinking. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Steven Pinker earlier, the Harvard professor who who's written a lot, but he wrote his one of his big books is um, Enlightenment Now, where he talks about. Like you said, oh, the planet has never been better. It's never been a better time to be human. We've made so much progress and we're well on our way to basically, you know, a sort of cultural sociological nirvana where (laughs) just human intellect and technology and creativity and skill and resources, it's going to lead us to the promised land or something. Um, And I think a part of that comes out it's interesting his book is called Enlightenment Now because he's a, he's very much steeped in, you know, the mantra of post-enlightenment thinking which is that there is no room in actual reality, lived reality for the supernatural or the transcendent or what what some would call the spiritual. That reality is only that which you can see and hear and taste and touch and um, any problem uh, that cannot be fixed within that um, framework, you know, with real stuff, science and math and human ingenuity, if it can't be fixed that way, it can't be fixed is essentially, you know, the, the way we um, sort of understand the world, which is why there's so much hopelessness, because we have more technology, we have more resources, we have more you know, in some ways, some can argue more intellect and more intelligence and ingenuity and creativity. Certainly than, more information and access to it. Oh, for sure, more yeah. information. Sure. Um, and than, yet the problems persist. Yeah. And, and and I'm not even, I mean, certainly the global problems, there are many. Um, we've had two world wars in the 20th century, you know, when supposedly, according to Pinker, it's never been a better time to be alive. And yet we killed each other at a higher rate than we've ever killed each other before as human beings. Um, But not even on a global level, just on a personal level. If that's true, then why is it that even those with all the resources they could possibly need so often find themselves in utter despair? I mean, there must be something more. You know, C.S. Lewis puts it beautifully where he says, I'm paraphrasing him, but he basically says, if your heart has a longing or a desire that this earth, this world cannot satisfy, it very well must mean that your heart was made for another world. And I, there's I think, no room for that with Pinker. There's no room for that in our secular with age. Pinker yeah. and in the secular age. Yeah. You mentioned Charles Taylor, he's Canadian philosopher, 20th century. Um, he wrote this. Um, 
he wrote a lot, but his work on the secular age is, is it's been so helpful to so many people. He talks about this thing he calls the imminent frame and he calls it imminent for a variety of reasons. One of them is like the way we understand imminent, you know, it's just, um, undeniable (laughs) like it just is you know and there's no stopping it kind of thing and we have that sort of framework in the secular age meaning uh reality again reality is what you can see taste touch feel hear, you know all those sorts of things and in the imminent frame taylor says there's essentially there's no room for god there's no room for a divine reality and um so that was just I was trying to get that idea across. I, I think I think most people understand it just in their bones, because like you said, those are the waters in which we swim. It's just and and Christians don't believe that intellectually. We believe in a God, you know, in a divine being and who sent his son Jesus and all those things. But functionally, we live as if that secular ideal is truth, you know. And it does seem like um and another way to understand it, this is how because it's it, these are really complex ideas, right? And and he's saying basically that society, it used to be so that almost everyone in a society believed in an unseen realm that was supernaturally charged. Yeah, that and was this, the dominant. That was the view. dominant worldview, and that had repercussions on human on human development. Mm-hmm. You had to pay attention and think about the supernatural realm. Yeah, because it contained information that was critically important to you. Yeah, and that you ignored it at your own peril. Right. So I think about next week, my family is going up to San Francisco to see a very famous Christmas story. Uh, the Dickens, the Christmas Carol. Yeah. It's going to be acted out. And that was written by Dickens 200 years ago in Victorian England, where this idea of the imminent frame was not there. The, the Dickens inhabited a Britain that was very supernaturally charged. Right. In fact, how does Scrooge change? What is it that changes Scrooge? Mm. You know, he, he he's a miser. He abuses his employees. He hoards money. Right. He's he's a horrible human being. And what is it that changes Scrooge? It's a visit from four ghosts. Yeah, it's a transcendent, <laughs> a transcendent experience, experience. A spiritual, and supernatural. That it's charged with a moral universe. It's it's like God becoming. Um, in, in entering into Scrooge's yeah, it changes life. his real life, his real life, yeah. because his soul is at stake. Right. And so, do you see what I mean? Yeah. That, that idea, it doesn't exist. That, yeah. that that framework, Dickens's framework, is completely foreign to the modern mind. Yeah. The idea of that supernatural knowledge about how you should live and the implications of that on your personhood and soul. Yeah. That's completely foreign, yeah. and yet that's exactly the world that everyone lived in. In yeah, but what's interesting is pop culture today, I think still it betrays what we say we believe. So, you yeah. know, the movies that make the most money these days are the Marvel movies and Star Wars movies, right? That's why Disney is on, you know, they're like starting to conquer the streaming wars because they have all this IP and, and everybody... You know, any Marvel Cinematic Universe film that comes out, like Jenny and I just went and watched... Wakanda forever, you know, we're like all about it. Can't wait. And the new Andor show, the Star Wars and Marvel. Well, what is that stuff really? Like, I mean, you think about what's happening in those stories and why they are so 
captivating for like literally everybody. They everyone watches those things. It's not just like you know Star Wars nerds. It's like everybody is you know they're these cultural moments. And I think in some ways it betrays sort of the imminent frame because what it tells us is there is something in us almost universally that longs for um, good to conquer evil in places that feel bigger than just right here, right now, the stuff I can see and hear and, you know, yeah. but, but I also wanted to impact. It makes it like my heart soars when I see the good guys beat the bad guys in the galactic sort of, you know? Yeah. Um, we all have that. We all have that. And I think one of the reasons we have it is because we are, whether we know it or not, or can admit it or not. One of the reasons we long for it so much is because, uh, we feel so frustrated in how things do not work out that way within the imminent frame in real life, what we call real life. So I, I think most people are closer to an understanding or at least an openness to transcendence, to the spiritual and the supernatural. And then, you know, as, as you go along that path, I think more people are open to more open to like, a mighty God than we might actually believe. I think we long for it. So speaking of mighty God, one of the things that's hard about this is that a lot of people have a, a yearning and a hope for a mighty God, but the way that he shows up, the way that God's mightiness shows up in the Advent story is very different than everyone in the story would have ever expected. Right. And it's way smaller mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's way bigger. Mm-hmm. Is that it's, it's the strangest yeah. thing. It's, it's a teenage girl. Yeah who is told she's going to have a child. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, it's an older woman. Yeah. And Zechariah, his wife, Sarah, uh, Sarah, who they, they find out that, uh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, Sarah and Elizabeth and Zechariah. Yeah. Um, they find out that they're going to have a child, even though they can't. Right. It's, um, shepherds, nobodies. Yeah. And they're told, come and see the Christ. It's, it comes to nobodies. And God's movement, his mighty, mighty, mighty movement becomes very small. Right. And I think that that's what's disorienting. It's it's way too common because those other ways I talked about in the, in the onset, the bigness and mightiness of God with the creation of the world and the, the parting of the Red Sea and right. the trembling of the whole earth at Sinai and yeah. fire from heaven coming down to consume. Those are magnificent and Huge, yeah, and yet God seems to be getting closer and closer and smaller and smaller, yeah. And so I think it could be disorienting for people. But the Advent story is is telling us God can come that closely, yep, and that and wants to and wants to, yeah. Um, is is there a sense that right that He wants to? Is there a sense when you when you think about that? Why is that hope filled? Um, how does that help restore our hope? Is it because if he can come to nobodies, then there's no place he can't come and that we're invited to participate? Or is it that it's just a reminder that God is infused in ordinary and we, if we have our eyes open, he's going to come in ways we don't expect, but this could be better than we could ever imagine. Yeah. Like keep your eyes open. What, what is it? How would you, how, how does it instill hope in you? Yeah. Well, I mean, lots of things come to mind. Two things in particular. One, I ha- I find so much hope in that God sent his son into this no-name town to a no-name family. Now, they weren't totally a no-name family. Their lineage was really important. But 
but they themselves, Joseph and Mary, just teenagers, are not, young people. Yeah, yeah, they're not people of significance in any way. Joseph was a stonemason, you know, so he he probably very likely made what would have been at the time minimum wage, um, carving rock to build so that the Roman Empire could build more stuff. You know what I mean? Like he was a slave to the empire. And um, and Mary is at the time, you know, unwed, teenager, very, very likely uh, came from poverty, which is why she's wedded off to a stonemason, you know. And that brings me a lot of hope because um, I can relate and uh, I didn't grow up in palaces. So and 99 percent of the people listening to this didn't either. And even if you did grow up with like monetary wealth, there are parts of your heart and mind, your soul that can relate to feeling utterly insignificant, you know? And I think that's incredibly hopeful. Um, Had, had God sent his son as a conquering King that ushered in a new earthly empire with sword and spear, uh, it because you know, he could have. He could have. He could have. And a lot of people at the time thought he should have. Yeah. But he didn't. And in hindsight, it's so beautiful because now it's so undeniable. This kingdom and this king is for everybody. He's not just for the elites. He's for the elites too, but he's for everybody, you know? So that's really hopeful uh, for me. I find a lot of hope in that. The other thing too is um, it also tells me that Jesus came to redeem it all. You know, um, again, had he come as a conquering king on a stallion with an army behind him, um, I I would wonder, I think there's a part of me that would wonder like, oh, is he just here to sort of pillage the land and make it all, you know, empire or something? But he doesn't do that. I mean, he he the stories about him we read in the gospels, his earthly ministry, that encapsulates about one tenth of his life. Like his earthly life. He spends the first probably thirty years of it, probably a little bit less, but close. Like totally not famous. <laughs> like no one really knew who he was. I mean, he had these little moments when he was a little boy in the temple, but yeah, you know, he spends most of his life in the sort of backcountry, you know, just working with his dad. And that tells me he came for it all. If the if the king of the galaxy could spend decades just chiseling rocks with pops, you know, in this no-name town in the shadow of an empire, man, like where is what there's no place he can't reach and there's no place he doesn't care about, you know? Um so yeah, all those those couple of things come to mind for me. Yeah, I think if if Jesus can come to a, a stable, yeah, with uh, stinking beasts and the dung of animals, then there's no place that he can't break into. Right. Um, that's the hope, and and the story of the the wise men, who are not even Jews, yeah, <laughs> living in another nation. Yeah, probably pagan astrologers. Yeah, in another part of the world. Yeah. And shepherds who are nobodies and you know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's it's really 
it's a it's an astonishing story of God trying to break through. Right. If nothing else, it gives me hope to look around my ordinary life and yeah. say, where might God be breaking in? Or to participate with the rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because right. it is a rebellion. Yeah. Because this world is enemy-occupied territory. Yeah. So he's the true king. Uh, and and someday it won't it, it, he will put things right. But right now it's a rebellion. Right. It's an uprising. Right. Yeah. And to be a person of hope is hope is rebellion. You mm-hmm. know, hope is to say God sees and cares and is acting even if it doesn't look like it. Right. You know. Um. And it also gives me hope because it was way harder than any of them expected. Mm. Yeah. You know, there there's. Mary has to become a refugee with Joseph. Yeah. Their lives get exponentially more complex and difficult. And there's zero chance if we were to somehow able to talk to them now that they wouldn't say it was worth every second of it. And that grand adventure with God himself. Wow. So that, that's, that gives me hope too, no matter how difficult it is. And I know there's lots of folks that we know they're going right now. It's really hard right now. Yeah. And they've been praying for relief or, God to move and it doesn't it seems very very difficult right now and this story reminds me that just because it's difficult doesn't mean that God's not with you right and so that that's also gives me hope Mm -hmm. um for them and to live in that hope right so um yeah so mighty God next week we're going to be talking about um what are we talking about next week prince of Prince of peace yes which is actually sort of tied See, yeah. these, these words are kind of tied together. Yeah. I mean, his peace is because he's mighty and his, he can, you right. know, eventually. Anyway, right. so um, good stuff. All right. Well, um, I wonder what's a good Christmas song that talks about the mightiness of God? What's oh, my it? goodness. Uh, I was reading the Advent devotional and they talked about um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Okay. They say, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. So there's something about might there, his reign. Um, But in O Holy Night, I thought was really interesting. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. That's about his might. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's interesting because there's a line in there that a lot of people don't sing. It's in the second verse. And it's that um, chains shall he break. Yeah. For this. And this is, this is. Is this episode really still going right now? It is. Yeah. But I'm eating peanuts. I feel bad. You shouldn't feel bad. They're delicious. They're delicious peanuts. I really thought you stopped recording like three minutes ago. I'm sorry. I just think it's interesting. apologies, everybody. I think it's interesting. It is very interesting. Uh, you know, change shall he break for for break sh- for the slave is our brother, yes. and in his name all oppression shall cease. That's about his power too. God's going to create a new a new world someday. Yeah, and um, so so there's some that's that's a very mighty power kind of God. Yes, lyrics absolutely. That's good. Yeah. All right. So listen to those songs. Yeah. Me. All right. <laughs> Keep eating your peanuts. Apologies for yeah. No, no, we're good. Really and we'll uh, we'll. I can't wait to see what snack you have next week, Jay. <laughs> All right. Well, for all of us here at The Afterward, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim and also Mariah Carey for their help on this week's podcast. Join us next week when we're going to be talking about the second attribute, 
that Isaiah writes about Jesus, the Messiah, as the Prince of Peace. What in the world does that mean, and how can that change and transform our lives? Well, with that, uh, we'll see you next week.